we're going to open the word of the Lord. And a few weeks ago, started a series, the book of Colossians. Going to continue that today. If you would remain standing, I will read Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Paul would write, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Would you lift your voices one more time and let's talk to the Lord together. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word that changes us, for your power and your spirit that changes and transforms us. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated today. I don't know if you're familiar with rhetoric. It is a... uh, system of speaking and a process by which people communicate and it's been around for some 3,000 years or close to that as the ancient Greeks developed a system and a process of communicating in a way that would cause people to hear what they are saying and cause people to want to respond to what they were communicating. Speech used to persuade people to do something or to be something or to believe something. So today, things that I do and things that almost any person you hear do public speaking, and even sometimes in conversations, it is they are using rhetoric or rhetorical devices. In fact, just standing here today, there are three aspects of what I'm doing at any given moment that are important. One of those is the the Greek word logos, and that has to do with what I'm saying and what I'm communicating to you. Another is pathos, which is the passion or the way in which I say what I'm saying. For example, I could tell you something great and be like, the cross of Jesus is so awesome. Aren't you thankful? Does that sound a little little like Eeyore, maybe? (laughs) The cross of Jesus is so wonderful. I'm so glad. What I said is true. That's the law of God. But the way I said it makes you want to go, I don't know if he believes that. If it's so exciting and it's so awesome, then he should be like, the cross of Jesus is so awesome. It changes and transforms our lives. So the pathos or the passion or the way in which I speak. And then there's another element of that is the ethos. It's what you think of me. If you like me, I can stumble over my words and I can make mistakes and misspeak and you'd be like, oh, that's okay, he's a great guy anyway. 
If you don't like me, it doesn't matter how eloquent I am or how good I say what I'm saying or how awesome what I'm saying is. You can be like, that dude's an idiot. I don't want to listen to anything he's got to say, even if he's right. What you think of me determines how you receive what I say. Oh, how many of you love me in the house today? No, <laughs> So in every conversation, there are these elements that are at work, and we use things like uh, rhetorical questions. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> it is a question, though, that you ask people, but you're not really wanting them to respond. You're just wanting them to think about it. But you're not asking for, the, for a yes or a no or give me an answer. You're just asking. And so we use rhetoric all the time. It is a way in which we talk. And, and throughout the Bible, the New Testament specifically, there's a lot of rhetorical devices. Paul uses one rhetorical device over and over in his epistles when, when he will give you a list of things. He basically will say, I'm going to talk about A, B, and C. And he starts with C. If we were saying, I'm going to talk to you about A, B, and C, we go back and start talking about A, and then we'll talk about B, and then we'll talk about C, but he uses the device where he says, I'm going to talk about A, B, and C, and then he talks about C, and then B, and then A. It's a way of speaking, a way of communicating for people, and so we use all of that, and, and people, whether secular or spiritual, use rhetorical devices, politicians and public speakers of all varieties use rhetoric. But if we're honest about it that most of the time the message that is being communicated isn't really all that important so they use rhetoric to try to convince you to believe something that you otherwise may not believe but you and i have a message today that we know of that can change and transform lives and we don't need to build it up and we don't need to use a lot of rhetoric we just say this is the gospel of jesus it will change your life it will transform your life and it will cause you to spend an eternity with jesus and then you don't have to go to hell but you can go to heaven and spend an eternity with him it is a message that will change us but it is a message that must be obeyed Hearing the message doesn't change us unless we obey the message, which is why the Bible repeatedly, Paul and Peter both would say it, we must obey the gospel. Not just believe the facts and not believe the story, but it is a matter of obedience. But in order for people to obey the message, they must hear the message. And in order for them to hear the message, the message must be shared. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he preach except he be sent? And so God has called you and I to be proclaimers of the Word of God. And so my message today is this, is that we proclaim or we preach Jesus. That what we're doing and what we are about is we are preaching Christ. We are taking Him to the world. We're taking Him to our neighbors. We're taking Him to our acquaintances and our relatives and our friends. And we are preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 of Colossians begins with Paul commending the church at Colossians. Colossi for their response to the gospel and then encouraging them because of their maturity and their growth and then he talked about the preeminence of Christ which I preached on a couple of weeks ago and 
Today I want to spend this time talking about this gospel of Jesus. And I don't have a lot of time, but so I'm going to hurry through some of this, and, but I, I will touch on all of the verses that I read. But Paul starts this section of his letter to the church there with making this assertion that proclamation is not without cost, that proclaiming the gospel cost us something. He said, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And ultimately what he's saying is this, Jesus suffered and Jesus died and it didn't stop because he did it. There is persecution in the first century that everywhere Paul goes, people are pushing back and they are trying to keep him from preaching the gospel. And they, when he comes, they, they do their best to keep him away from their city. And we don't want you to bring that Jesus stuff here. Now, we live in a culture where we don't have that level of persecution. But Paul doesn't say persecution is, is bad in fact, he actually says he rejoices in his suffering. I rejoice that I can suffer for Christ because when I proclaim the gospel, that I can be partners with Jesus in that suffering. Well, that's a difficult thing for us to do. And in fact, we dislike suffering so much, we don't even want to put ourselves in a position where people will say something bad about us. Or we don't even want them to think bad about us. Anybody besides me imagine people think stuff all the time that they're not really thinking? I've told you this story. I was knocking doors, and, every, and every, I'm walking down the street. It, it was the, uh, the street where my wife was raised, and I, I, I just walk out of the house, her house, walk next door, and start knocking on doors, man, talking to people about Jesus. I didn't get all the way to the first house, and I'm going... These people that are just driving by in this car, they're thinking, what is this idiot doing out here walking through the yard? And the reality is they had no idea who I was or why I was there. It could have been my yard for all they knew. But I'm thinking that they're thinking that I'm an idiot. And so we don't want that so much. Forget suffering and forget persecution. Forget people calling us. and We're just thinking they're going to think something. If I could tell you, and I, and I probably shouldn't take the time to do this, there is a, a position that some in our world that are in power are promoting, and it is, I mean, this is a big word, the extirpation of religious extremism. And what that means is the annihilation and the doing away with anything that is religiously extreme. And what that means, to break it down even further, if you say Jesus is the only way, you're a religious extremist. And the goal is to wipe that out, which is why we have an inclusiveness in our world right now. Is everybody, every, your truth is your truth as long as you don't tell me about it. You do what you want to do, just don't share it with me. And there are nations, not, not just Muslim nations where it's been that way for years, but even nations that have a historical Christian background that are saying don't preach the Bible here and don't share that. You, France, in fact, is one of those. You, you can... You invite somebody to church and they say, no, I don't want to go. That's fine. You ask them again. Now it's grounds for law to do something about it. Now you're badgering them and now you're proselytizing them. And 
And hopefully it is not coming to America, but understand there is a cost of proclaiming the gospel. And whether people think something strange of you or they say something, that's about all that's going to happen to you right now. But Paul says, I rejoice that I can suffer for the church and suffer for the proclamation of the gospel. Verse 25, he says this, that proclamation is ordained by God. He says, God has given me this responsibility. And let me jump to the end of this because I want to focus on a piece of this passage, but it is a responsibility by, from God to do this, but he said, I've got to preach the entire message. I can't just tell you the parts that you want to hear. I can't just tell you the parts that make it feel good and make it sound all good. I've got to tell you everything. And he said, I've got to proclaim the entire message to you. The New Testament would make this, this uh, distinction between milk and and meat, talking about people who are new Christians, they need milk, and they can't handle everything that the gospel would say, but they have to have it, have the, the, the milk of the word as it would say. We're just going to tell you a few things and understand there's more, and there are deeper things of God that eventually will get shared and eventually will be proclaimed to you, but you've got to do it all. It's a progression. Nobody comes to Jesus if we say, you know what? You may get persecuted if you decide to believe this. <laughs> but when you fall in love with Jesus, and when you understand what he's done, the persecution doesn't matter. And you're like, hey, I'm just going to serve Jesus no matter what. God, whatever you call me to do and whatever you want me to do, I'll do it because you've given me this responsibility. And so it's a, the meat of the word. It's the deeper things. It's not just the shallow peace and the writer of hebrews would say this we don't need to keep talking about these same little things we need to go deeper and so paul would say i have preached the entire message to you he said this to the church at ephesus in acts chapter 20 i have not neglected to preach the whole counsel of god and i'm camped out in colossians now but there's 65 other books of the bible that we'll get to eventually can't do it in one service or one week or one month we'll get there as the whole of scripture is important the third thing is this that proclamation is centered on christ we preach jesus and paul would say it this way this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret that Christ lives in you. And this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. He says it is the mystery of the ages. It's the mystery that nobody really understood in, that, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, it was a a schoolmaster getting you ready to understand what's going to take place. And he said it's now been revealed for God's people, and it is a message for all, but for centuries the Jews had been proclaiming the coming Messiah. The word Christ is the, comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one, which is the same thing that Messiah means. Messiah means anointed one. Christ means anointed one. They are synonymous terms, and it is Jesus the Christ. Or if you want to learn some Hebrew, it's Yeshua HaMashiach. Oh, look at your neighbor and say that. 
Don't spit on them when you say Mashiach. <laughs> it is Jesus the Christ. For centuries they had preached that and taught the Messiah is coming. He's coming to be our Savior from not from sin and but he's really our savior from oppression and our deliverer from oppression. But Jesus comes not as they expected, but he came preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. He came preaching and proclaiming a spiritual kingdom. He came doing miracles. Walking on the water and turning water to wine and multiplying bread and fish and doing all number of miracles. He came doing healing. He came raising the dead. He came opening the blinded eyes and causing the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. He came with all of that. And he came with the promise of the Spirit. Over and over in the Gospel of John, he would proclaim the Spirit is coming. There's something coming in the passage that Brother Brown was going to read in John 7, 38. He spoke of water. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. In verse 39, but this spake he of the Spirit, that they which believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But he said, it's coming. Until that glorification, until that ascension, when he's glorified, until then it's not ready, it's not possible. He said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you the promise of the Spirit. I'm going to send you another comforter. And then he says, I won't leave you orphans, I will come to you. He would say in John, I am with you, but I shall be in you. And that is the mystery of the ages. It's not just somebody that's coming from the outside. It, it is the Lord of glory who's coming. And he's not just going to walk beside us, but he's coming to live inside of us. That is what he, Paul would say. It is the mystery of the ages that it is Christ in you. Anybody thankful that you know Jesus and that you don't just know him, but he lives inside of us. Now you can say, well, how does that work? Well, he's the God of glory. He's the God of the universe. He's everywhere present. And so when we come into a saving relationship with him, when we repent of our sins and we're baptized in the name of Jesus, for the washing away of our sins, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It is that infilling of the Holy Spirit that is the Spirit of Christ. If the Spirit that dwelt in Christ dwell in you, it shall also quicken your mortal bodies. But if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Paul would again say, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How can we have an assurance of salvation? We can have that assurance of salvation because it is Christ in us. And if he is in us, and he will never leave nor forsake us, then where he is, there we will be also, as he would say in John 14. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And if he's in us, Paul says, it gives us the assurance that there is a heaven and there is an eternity that we can spend with Jesus. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now for that? This is not a fairy tale. This is not one of Aesop's fables. It's not just a story from ancient times. 
we preach Christ. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim that he came and he lived a perfect sinless life and he died on the cross in our place and he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And because of that, we can have eternal life. I referenced in the Sunday school today that a guy I knew that said, I don't believe in God because I've never felt him. We don't have to be like that today. That you can feel him and you can experience him. But you have to respond to him. You have to say, I. I I want this, Jesus. I I want to be in a relationship with the one who died for us. And fourthly, proclamation is for everyone. Verse 28, Paul would say, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Understand that the preaching of the gospel or the proclamation of the gospel is for everyone. Everyone deserves an opportunity to hear the gospel. Everyone deserves an opportunity to respond to the gospel, but Not only that, but it is the responsibility of everyone who knows Jesus to proclaim the gospel. It's not just the few who are called to be pastors or teachers or evangelists or apostles or prophets, but it is everyone. And we proclaim the gospel, Paul would say, warning them of what is going to come. Warning them there is a heaven, but there's also a hell. Warning them that Jesus is soon to come, and if you're not in relationship with Jesus, then you're probably not going to heaven. And I say probably you're not going to heaven if you don't know Jesus. But he says it's to be with wisdom. Proclamation is so everyone, he says, the goal of this is so everyone can stand complete and mature before Jesus. It is not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So we warn and we preach and we proclaim with wisdom that there is a Savior. And that apart from that Savior, we are lost and undone. But apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope of an eternity that you want to experience. Paul would also say, lastly, in verse 29, that proclamation is empowered by God. That's why I work and struggle so hard. Depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. He says, I endure affliction because of God's power. I'm able to endure persecution and pushback, and I'm able to endure criticism. I'm able to continually proclaim Christ because of His power that works in me. 
It is God's power that helps to prioritize the kingdom. It is Christ's power that helps us, regardless of what people say or regardless of what they think, to say, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus would promise this power in Acts 1.8. And he would say, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Anybody thankful that you don't have to do this alone? You don't have to walk this Christian life alone, but we have the empowering Spirit of God. Would you give him praise right now as you stand and the musicians come? God, we love you. We need you. We want you. As my time is up, understand that this proclamation, this preaching of Christ, it is for everyone and to everyone. And it is to be proclaimed, and He is to be proclaimed everywhere. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, I, I came and, and I just focused on preaching to you the gospel. Just going to tell you the gospel. But he would say earlier in that book, I didn't come with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and with power. That it is a life-changing message that will change your life. And if your life has been changed, then you have to share what God has done for you. You have to share what He has accomplished in your life and how he has changed and transformed you. And I know I talk a whole lot about evangelism. And you may sit there and be like, well, and isn't there anything else in the Bible? Yeah, there is. But it's only for people who know him. And our mission isn't to try to see how much knowledge we can have so we're really good at Bible trivia. Whether you ever heard of Jephthah or you can spell his name doesn't really matter. Our mission is not to see how much we know, but it's whether we share what we know with those around us, with those who are lost and undone. And, and I would tell you there is no other way it is only through Jesus Christ. Church attendance won't get you to heaven. Reading your Bible won't get you to heaven. Praying an hour a day, it won't get you to heaven. It'll help. But it won't get you there. It's only through Jesus. It is the only saving name and the only saving message. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus so my question to you today would, is this where would you be without Jesus where would you be and for most of you who were not first are not second or third generation apostolics where would you be if someone did not proclaim Jesus to you? But those who proclaim the message, I'm third generation Pentecostal and apostolic. I was raised in this. But somebody had to share it with my grandparents. 
somebody had to tell them about Jesus and that they could have Jesus living on the inside and somebody proclaimed Jesus to them and that they could be filled with the Holy Spirit and they could live differently and they could be different and they could spend an eternity with Him. And my parents had to commit to it and live it. But most of the people you meet, they don't know Jesus. They haven't, their family hasn't been serving him for generations. And so it's up to you and it's up to me to share the gospel with them. Would you lift your hands where you are right now? Would you just talk to the Lord for a moment?